1 Corinthians 13, following the Corinthians um, kind of pattern that we've been doing. Um, so it's a really, really famous passage on love. It's often at weddings, which I think is a bit funny actually, because having read it and really thought about it, it's actually about Paul telling off the church at Corinth, so it's a funny one to have at a wedding. It's actually addressing the weaknesses of the church in Corinth, who operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but were kind of a bit uh, lacked self-discipline and stuff, because um, they were, ended up being really competitive about the gifts that they had, and they used to get drunk on communion. And um, if they had a problem, they used to actually sue each other, rather than actually go up and sort it out. They'd, uh, because kind of like Corinth was this, the kind of administrative centre where Rome did a lot of their kind of business, they must have got into the habit of doing everything legally. <coughs> so that's interesting. The chapter before, chapter 12, is all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit being really, really important. And chapter 13 is about the first bit of anyway. It's saying, look, if you're going to use those gifts, if you don't use them with love, then it's a complete waste of time. But I want to focus particularly on the rest of the chapter, um, which is really about what real love looks like. And I think that's really important because it's the key to success of life and health. And if we don't operate in love, well then we're not operating the way that God wanted us to. And we're not operating like he does. And therefore it's just not going to be best for us. Because whatever God does, if we do it that way, there's just massive blessings. Okay, can I have the next slide please? Before I start, I thought it'd be an idea to have a look at uh, the type of love that Paul meant. In Greek, apparently there's six words for love actually, but the kind of four types of love that we talk about, or the Greeks talked about, was storge, or I think I'm going to pronounce it like that, which is like a natural love that a parent has towards a child, or a child has back to the parent. It's instinctive, nothing you can do about it. Eros is kind of that sexual attraction when you fancy somebody. And it's dependent on, I don't know, what the hair looks like, what colour eyes they've got. I don't know. That's a weird thing. And it evokes in us an emotional response, and it's reactive. You know, I fancy the person because I'm reacting to something. I don't fancy anybody but my husband. I just want to But back in the day. <laughs> or Philadelphia, which is interesting, obviously what that city's named after, is a brotherly affection or liking. And it is interdependent. It's about liking one person as a friend and then liking you back. It's intellectual and it's reciprocal. You like that person, they like you back. Agape love, God's love, is completely different. It's spiritual and it's completely independent. It's God loved us first, whether we love him or not. And it, it always that way. And it's volitional, so it's of his own volition, by his choice, he chooses to love us, and that never changes. And that's what Paul has in mind when he's talking in Corinthians. It's interesting that agape is an act of will. It's impossible to tell somebody... that It is, it is impossible to tell somebody to fall in love with somebody or like a person, but it is possible to have agape love because it's something we have control over. And we can direct that if we choose to, and God has. Secondly, as I'm speaking, I wanted us to think about the love that we give and not whether we get this love back or anything. Because that's really the focus of Paul's letter. He's addressing the problems in the church that he wants them to think about and change. I also think it's really, love is kind of linked to the way that we give. Which is, 
Luke 6.38. Now, I know a lot of people think about this with regards to money, but, it, you know, if we're thinking about it, about love, it's still giving, isn't it? Give and it'll be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if we love well, we get loved <coughs> back massively more. Okay, next one, please, Tim, sorry. So, it's this agape love that's described in verses 4 to 6. Some of these descriptions and you know, points are actually quite straightforward. And you think, yeah, that's okay. I think particularly I like the idea of kindness. It's not like a fluffy thing. It's actually really powerful because it's part of God's character. It's a divine quality. In Romans 2.2, 2, uh, it makes reference to the riches of God's kindness. And I think, okay, yeah, a kindness is like a rich, lavish sort of love. It's an affection that we show in words and deeds and time. And it emanates out of people. You can think of kind people and you just want to be with them, don't you? Because it kind of just oozes out of them. It's an unwavering devotion to others. Envy is not so good. I think, I was thinking about it, I think it's like a damaging longing for what other people have. Maybe their stuff or their gifts or maybe their skills or their relationships. And it's not just admiring because that would be okay. It's thinking about maybe what they have is unfairly theirs. And maybe in that way it's kind of a little bit unkind. But when we love like God does, we can rejoice when other people get blessed. There's a lady in the church who's a good friend of mine, (coughs) Julie. She's actually Diana's sister-in-law. She once said to me that a real friend is somebody who is happy when you get blessed with something that they have got the opposite. You know, they probably haven't gone through a really tough time. But, um, (coughs) excuse me, but they can be really happy because you're being blessed because they love you. quite tough to do actually sometimes you know we can be going through a really tough time and somebody gets gets something really great and we're still struggling but if we really love them we don't mind because we want the best for them and I think actually if we know our God really really well and it really came through in worship isn't it that God is good and he's always good and he'll always be good to us so even if we're going through a bit of a tough time now we can rejoice when others have a great time because we know that God is, is going to bless us even if right now the circumstances seem to, say, see some, seem to say something different love also isn't self-seeking we can think about ourselves a bit too much I'm sure that we all do, I definitely do but it's a problem especially if we've got like an unmet need if we carry around with us a bit of a hole where we're feeling unloved or unliked. Because mm-hmm. the trouble with that is we carry it wherever we go. Mm-hmm. So if we come into church, if, for instance, <coughs> I don't know, I, maybe if I think that Diana doesn't like me, she does, we get on well. But maybe I come into church and she's chatting. Maybe she's chatting to Alini about something. And in my heart, I've got that she doesn't like me. And straight away, I can see she's talking to Alini. And I'm thinking, she doesn't like me. She's not talking to me. She's probably sorting out a lift to a school of supernatural ministry or something like that. And then after she's had that conversation, she probably goes and chats to somebody else because she's a brilliant server and she's got a sort of stuff out, but she's still not talking to me. And in my head, it just confirms what I've carrying around in my heart all the time is that she doesn't like me. And of course, that's not true at all. So we just, you know, if we've got that hole, that is a really important thing that we need to deal with. We need to look to God. Actually, there's nobody who's going to fill that hole Nobody. Not a husband, not children, not a best friend. God is the only one who can fill that hole. So we need to kind of say sorry 
and you know, to God thinking, I can't look to other people to fill that need. I've got to look for you. And then I can feel his healing and, and then I can love like he loves me. Have the next slide. So this is just like a massive truth. One, John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. And I really like the worship song, So Will I. It's all about creation, isn't it? And the bit of it that really gets me every time. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. I love the bit that says no point of reference. God's the only one who doesn't have to look to somebody or something to know what to do. He is the creator. He started everything first. My dad is actually a really brilliant painter. If you come to our house, every painting in the house is his. And he is really, really good. And he loves painting trees and landscapes and stuff. But even his best painting, he's only copying what God did in the first place. You know, and if I am a good wife or a good mum, which I think I am, and often a good friend, not always, then if I do any of those things at all well, I'm only doing what God's done first and I'm trying to copy him. He does it first and we try to do some kind of copy that's nothing like as good as he is. But if it's good, it's because God did it first, isn't it? And I don't know anything about mental health. But surely grasping the truth of how much God loves us is fundamental to our well-being. You know, it's why he saved us. Jesus died on the cross so that we can have a relationship with God. So the thing that was broken is fixed. And then when we know how much we're loved, wow, that's a really powerful thing. In the passage I was looking at as well, God doesn't keep a record of wrong. And in the Bible, apparently that's like in an accounting sense, that you don't have a wrong that somebody has done you and put it into a list that you can kind of use against them at some other time. And a lot of you will know that I'm a primary school teacher. I teach year five, nine and ten-year-olds. And it's not unusual for a child to come up to me and say, so-and-so did such and such, and they did it last year. Or they'll say, and I did it, and they did it in year three. And we're, this is a year or two later. And I'll say to them, yeah, what has that got to do with today? Because I can't deal with the thing a year or two years ago. I can only deal with the thing today. In fact, it's even difficult to deal with the thing that was yesterday or the day before, because you know what children are, they just forget about it. But it's sort of, the children do that because they want to add a bit of weight to the injustice, don't they? They want you to take it seriously because it's happened loads of times before. And it's kind of, they've stored that ready to use. And I think sometimes we're a bit like that. And we probably don't even do it deliberately. You know, we can think about things and we can think of some hurts that people have done to us. But it would just be so good if we can let it go. Because it ends up hurting us in the long run because we're just carrying that pain around with us, aren't we? I really like as well in this passage it talks about um, love rejoicing in the truth. Celebrating the truth of a situation. At CCK, we really value authenticity. If you know us at all, then we do bang on about this word a bit. It's about us being free to not be perfect. To not not have to put up a front, not have to yeah. pretend things, thanks Gary, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to just be ourselves, to not be judged, to not feel ashamed when we've got stuff wrong, because we, you know, until we get to heaven, we're not perfect, we're not kidding anybody, so we don't need to, because we know that we're loved, and, you know, we do take things seriously, we do know that there are things that we need to address, and with God we're going to get better, but being truthful is, is just walking openly. And if that looks like anything at CCK, then it means that we've got to deal with stuff when 
when we offend people or when they offend us. We may, we do need to deal with it and not brush it under the carpet, which is certainly the culture in my family, was the family I was brought up in, is you brushed it under the carpet. You might not talk to somebody for weeks on end, let them suffer a bit, definitely. <laughs> but you wouldn't actually deal with it, allow them to change, allow them to apologise, whatever. But it can be, we've got to be, not be cowards, because it's actually not easy dealing with stuff. Nobody likes conflict. I may appear to some people as confident, but I absolutely hate conflict. Even like a minor disagreement of an opinion can make my heart race. Um, so none of us like it. But if we deal with conflict patiently and kindly, it actually can improve the relationship. In verse 12, which we'll look at a bit later, Paul talks about the fact that we only see a reflection. And in biblical times, apparently, for mirrors, they would have brass. And uh, (coughs) really rich people had polished this brass loads and loads, so the reflection was better. But if you you know brass, it's still not going to be brilliant, is it? It's nothing like the mirrors that we have now. And I think the point that Paul was trying to make was that actually you don't see very well. It's just like a dim reflection. And the thing about truth is that we don't really see the truth of the whole situation. I don't anyway. And the other person doesn't. And it's obscured by emotions and expectations and all sorts of things. So until we're in heaven, judgment's not going to be perfect. So we need to be humble about our view of a situation and consider that we don't actually know it all. And actually, when I think about it in heaven, we won't really care anyway. But right now, we do have to deal with stuff. If we offend, if we've offended, and somebody points out something that we've done, if it's done in a really loving, kind way, it should be (coughs) quite easy to deal with. For instance, I went to Tracy's house at the beginning of the year. I hope she won't mind me sharing this. And uh, we we had a really good time really chatting. Uh, But I said something which offended her. But what was really good was she mentioned it and I said sorry. And she probably didn't even remember what it was now. But I was kind of a bit surprised that I offended. I didn't mean to. But I said sorry and she forgave me. And that was, and it was sorted. And when I think about that, I think that was really good because it was like it kind of built a brick in a wall of friendship, if that's such a thing. And the person who you've offended has valued you enough to take the risk of doing that horrid thing of trying to confront you gently. So she took a risk and said the thing that I had offended her about. And then she accepted my sorry. And, you know, we've, we've had lots of lovely chats since then. And I know that she's forgiven me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm pleased because she's forgiven me. And I actually understand her a little better now. And I hope that she was pleased because I just said, I'm really sorry. So I think I responded quite well, well done me. <laughs> <laughs> but I honoured Tracy by by saying sorry and meaning it. And and I didn't go off in a huff and I continued to be friendly. I wasn't gonna like walk <coughs> and hide underneath the <coughs> shell because she got upset with me which she hadn't. But like together we've 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 understand each better than understood each other better than we did before. And it wasn't a big deal. And it shouldn't be, should it? <laughs> So I think, you know, actually, if you keep it light and and you still love the person, you still remember they're still great people, it's really not a big deal, is it? I think if if we have, you know, if if we've also been offended, then sometimes we can sort it out, but sometimes we can't. Sometimes the person won't accept our apology. Sometimes... um, 
they don't even know about it and they're never going to say sorry. And we have to forgive them. And that's hard sometimes, but again, there's God who can, who can help us with that. You know, I'm sure we've all got people where we've had to just let it go and just say to God, that wasn't fair, that was hurtful. He loves us and he understands. You know, Jesus was acquainted with all sorts of rejection. I don't say this lightly, I know it's hard, but it is possible. The other good thing is that it lo- it love always hopes for the best. You know, when people do hurt and disappoint us, love hopes for the best and is optimistic about the future. That's true about all relationships. But it particularly struck me about teenagers who can make some interesting decisions as they're growing up. And sometimes it can be a bit hurtful. But I think it's really important as parents that we communicate to them hope. You know, that they are, you know, our teenagers are great. When they grow up, our our kids and and loads of other kids turn out to be great adults. So we have every reason to be optimistic. Um, But we need to communicate that. You know, choose to forget the problem and be optimistic and communicate that to our kids and adults around us that, that we think God's got great things for them in the future and they're going to be massive successes. Uh, next slide, please. Next bit of it. When I was reading this, the kind of thing that just kept coming over and over again was that love never gives up. In fact, we've seen that in the worship as well, haven't we? Verse 4, it talks about love being patient. In verse 7, it talks about love always persevering. In verse 8, beginning here, it says about love never failing. Apparently that literally means never collapses. When all the other gifts cease because we're in God's presence, love's still going to be there. We're still going to be loving God, aren't we? And as it's repeated by Paul, I'm thinking it must be a biggie. So we need to kind of really think and kind of pick it apart and really think what it means. Love never gives up and it never walks away. And the next slide as well. It's a really lovely um, verse, Songs of Solomon 8 7. There's a couple of different translations there. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. The fire of love stops at nothing, it sweeps everything before it. Floodwaters can't drown love, torrents of rain can't put it down. It's a message version as well as the NIV. So basically, love doesn't stop. Mm. We've got a choice to keep in relationship. Actually, there's a guy um, who Jamie often refers to, kind of from the Bethel group of churches, Danny Silk, and he said that we can be in danger of only staying in relationship with people if they behave in the way that we want, or if they do what we want them to do. And that, that can be a bit of a strain in relationship. You know, when people offend us, even if we sort it out, do we have that same level of relationship, or because it hurt a little bit, do we back off? kind of effectively retreating from them really. In London it's really easy to move churches and people leave church because it doesn't suit their needs mm-hmm. or somebody offended them and it's easier for them to walk away than it is to sort it out. And in families, you know, I had a family, not immediate, but a family member who didn't speak to somebody for three years. And I know some of you, well, I imagine some of you have family members like that who ignore each other rather than actually sort stuff out. And at work, we can let things irritate us, and we can end up avoiding certain people. At my work, I have had to, on a couple of occasions, talk to people who were rude or a bit offensive. And sometimes I've also just let things go when it wasn't really um, worth, it wasn't a big deal. Either way, to be honest, whether I had dealt with it or I didn't, or I kind of forgave the person, it cost me night's sleep thinking about it. Because these things wind us up, don't they? 
But you still got to do it, whether you deal with it or you, you think, no, actually, I'm going to look to God in this one because really I just need to just suck it up. Sometimes you do, don't you? Either way, it's got to, got to be dealt with and we've got to keep close. Having said that, sometimes, sometimes people can offend us or hurt us in actually a really massive way. And it isn't, it isn't right, it isn't safe to keep in relationship with them. But we can still forgive them. We can still pray the best for them. And again, I know that's not easy. I've had to do that. But I th- God can do it. And it may take time. And you may have to keep praying it. And then you'll come to a point where suddenly it doesn't hurt anymore. And you can, you can do that. You can pray that God will bless that person. But God's love never fails. So we shouldn't retreat from people when they hurt us or disappoint us. Now, when we've offended people and they put a distance from us, that can be really hard because we can't fix it. Maybe, maybe you have done something and you can fix it, you can go and say sorry. But sometimes we never know. People distance themselves from us and we're not really sure why. And then that hurts. But we need to go to God. He's just, he's just always a solution, isn't he? <laughs> he? He can fill us with love and he can give us the ability to forgive. It really costs to forgive, but just the freedom in it is just amazing. Uh, can we go back to the previous slide? Final thing in this group of verses is verse 11. I thought it was really interesting about putting away childish things. When I became a man, I put ways of childhood behind me. It's not like talking about growing up and you know just getting taller, getting bigger feet. You know, I don't know. Just being able to walk, which you didn't use to. It's not kind of a natural progression of things. It's actually a putting things away. So it's linked to a choice. Um, thinking about me as a teacher, I guess my main role is like teaching maths and English and science and all that kind of stuff. Not teaching P very well, by the way. But meant to be teaching loads of stuff. But actually, a lot of the things that I do is in Proverbs 22.6, training up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he's not going to depart from it. So it's actually my children in my class should be building towards maturity. And some of them are better at it than others. Um, there's a girl in my class who's quite keen on show and tell. Have you heard of that? Well, I mean, in junior, show and tell hasn't been a thing probably for decades. I don't even know whether it's a thing in nursery. I'll have to ask Rosanna or, or Rebecca or somebody. But certainly when they're nine and ten years old, it isn't. I mean, maybe it's a thing in nursery because you have to stand up and you talk about something of interest to you and it's good, it helps you talk in sentences and things. But certainly for my children, we never do it. But she keeps asking. And um, one thing was quite funny a couple of weeks back. She came into school with um, what looked like a white gold ring or platinum or something, with something that looked a bit like diamonds in it, jiggling around in her book bag. And um, she came up to me, and apparently she'd taken it from her mum's jewellery box and uh, was going to give it to her dad. Now, her mum and dad aren't married. So she took it from her mum's jewellery box, hoping that her dad, she'd be able to persuade her dad to propose to her mum. <laughs> so uh, she wanted to show and tell this to the class because she thought they would be interested. <laughs> so anyway, I suggested that it was put in my top drawer and I gave it to a rather embarrassed mum at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, so that was funny. But actually, the other thing she asked a bit later was that she could show the class photos of her as a baby, which didn't quite kind of just jarred a bit and I was thinking why because you know they're just pictures of her as a baby and I thought well that's interesting because I think (coughs) putting away childish things is perhaps putting away egocentric things because actually young children 
can't, aren't able to think about anybody else but themselves. You know, they don't play very well, they kind of play alongside because they can't share, they can't include people. And for this girl, I think that was kind of a bit of an insight into her developmental ability that she didn't realise that we weren't really that interested in pictures of her as a baby. <laughs> We've all got pictures of ourselves as babies, uh, you know, and, and I'm grown up enough to know that perhaps if I chat to, I don't know, Gary or Rob or Vincent or something about how I went to the florist last week to look at flowers for Becca's wedding, they're really not going to be interested. So I'm not going to bang on about whether we had roses or lilies because <laughs> they're not interested. And actually, some of you are going through such big things that me whittling on about flowers is actually almost offensive. We need to know people well enough to be able to ask about them and care about them and not just be interested in ourselves. Um, and that's true for all of us, you know. And what a blessing that is when people ask really pertinent questions and they remember because they're showing that they're interested in me and can remember something. They're praying for things. You know, we, some of us are going through really big stuff, aren't we? And it's so good to know, to put away the childish things about ourselves and look to the, to the interests of others as well. So, summarising. I think just what seems to come through to me is that you know, God is the source of all love. And whether we're having to deal with people who have distanced themselves from us, or we're having to deal with things where we feel like distancing ourselves, God can help us. God can help us love the way that he loves. And we need to just soak in him and seek him. So we just get that truth deep in our heart, and then it's going to start emanating through us.